Part One of Chapter Fifteen of The Growth of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jan Morehouse, Smith River, California. The Growth of a Soul by August Strindberg, translated by Cloud Field. Part One of Chapter Fifteen, The Red Room, eighteen seventy-two in autumn occurred the death of charles the fifteenth with the mourning which was fairly sincere and widespread there mingled gloomy anxieties for the future one of the young painters who belonged to john's circle of friends had just received a royal stipend and gone to norway he had now to return quite destitute and without any prospects for the future john was accustomed to go with him into the zoological gardens in order to paint and occupy his mind while he was waiting for an answer from the theatrical manager to whom he had sent his drama there is indeed no occupation which so absorbs all the thoughts and emotions so much as painting john watched and enjoyed the delicate harmonies of the lines in the branch formation of the trees in the wave-like curves of the ground but his paint-brush was too coarse to reproduce the contours as he wished then he took his pen and made a drawing in detail but when he tried to transfer it to his canvas and paint it the whole appeared but a smudge pele on the other hand was an impressionist and took no notice of details he took up the landscape at a stroke so to speak and gave the colours their due value but the various objects melted into uncertain silhouettes john thought pele's landscapes more beautiful than the reality although he cherished great reverence for the works of the creator after he had whiled away about a month in painting he went one evening into the cafe la croix the first person he met was his former editor who said i have just heard from x a young author that the theatre royale has refused the apostate i know nothing about it answered john he did not feel well and left the company as soon as possible the next day he went to his former instructor to find how the matter stood the latter began first to praise and then to criticize it which is the right method he said that the characters of olaus petri and gustav vasa had been brought down from their proper level and distorted john on the other hand held that he had given a realistic representation of them as they probably were before their figures had been idealized by patriotic considerations his friend replied that that was no good the public would never accept a new reading of their characters till critical inquiry had done its preliminary work that was true but the blow was a heavy one although dealt with as much consideration as possible and the author was invited to remodel his drama he had again been premature in his attempt there was nothing left for him but to wait and while away the time to think of remodelling it now was not possible for him for he saw when he read it through again that it was all cast in one piece and that the details could not be altered he could not change it unless he changed his thoughts and therefore he must wait now he took to reading again chance brought into his hand two of the best books which one can read they were de tocqueville's democracy in america and prevost paradol's the new france the former increased his doubts as to the possibility of democracy in an uncultivated community written with sincere admiration for the political institutions of america which the author holds up as a pattern for europe this work points out so sincerely the dangers of democracy as to make even a born hater of the aristocracy pause 
john's theories received terrible blows but this time his good sense triumphed over his prejudices his loss of faith in his own powers however had a demoralizing effect upon him and he was soon ripe for absolute scepticism sentences such as the following admitted at that time of no contradiction quote, the moral power of the majority is based partly upon the conviction that a number of men have more understanding intelligence and wisdom than an individual and a great number of lawgivers more than a selection of them that is the principle of equality applied to intellectual gifts this doctrine attacks the pride of humanity in its innermost citadel an individualist like john did not perceive that this pride can and must be overcome nor did he see that wisdom and intelligence can be spread by means of good schools among the masses Quote, when a man or a party in the united states suffers injustice to whom shall he turn to public opinion that is the opinion of the majority to the legislative officials they are nominated by the majority and obey it blindly to the executive power that is chosen by the majority and serves it as a passive instrument to the military forces of the state they are simply the majority under arms to juries they are formed by a majority which possesses the right to judge de tocqueville goes on to say that the happiness of the majority which consists in maintaining its rights deserves recognition and that it is better for a minority to suffer from pressure than a majority but the sufferings which an intelligent minority suffer from an unintelligent majority are much greater than those which an intelligent minority inflict upon a majority on the other hand the minority understands much better than the majority what conduces to their own and the general happiness and therefore the tyranny of the minority is not to be compared with that of the majority yes but thought john did not the european peoples generally suffer from the tyranny of a minority the mere fact that there were upper classes lay like a heavy cloud on the life of the masses nowadays the question may be raised why should a different class education result in an intelligent minority and an unintelligent majority but such questions were not raised then moreover had such a state really ever been seen in which an intelligent minority had the power to oppress no for sovereigns ministers and parliaments had usually the due modicum of intelligence that which more than anything else inclined john to fear the power of the masses was the fact noted by de tocqueville that they tyrannized over freedom of thought Quote, when one tries to ascertain he says how much freedom of thought there is in the united states it becomes apparent how much the tyranny of the masses transcends any despotism known in europe i know no country where there is generally speaking less independence of opinion and real freedom of discussion than america the majority draw a terribly narrow circle round all thought within that circle an author may say what he likes but woe to him if he step across the limit he has no auto de fe to fear but he is made the mark for all kinds of unpleasantness and daily persecutions every good quality is denied him even honor before he published his views he thought he had adherents after he has made them known to all the world he sees that he no longer has any for his critics have raised an outcry and those who thought as he did but lacked the courage to express themselves are silent and withdraw 
he gives way he finally collapses under the strain of daily renewed effort and resumes silence as though he regretted having spoken the truth in democratic republics tyranny lets the body alone and attacks the soul in them the dominant power does not say you must think as i do or die it says you are free to differ from me in opinion your life and property will remain untouched but from the day that you express a different view from mine you will be a stranger among us you will retain your rights and privileges as a citizen but they will be useless to you you will remain among men but be deprived of all a man's rights when you approach your equals they will flee you as though you were a leper even those who believe in your innocence will abandon you lest they should be themselves abandoned go in peace i grant you life but a life which shall be harder and bitterer than death End quote. that is the true and credible picture which the noble de tocqueville friend of the people and tyrant hater as he was has drawn of the tyranny of the masses those masses whose feet john had felt trampling on him at home at school in the steamer and the theatre those masses whom he had satirized in the play sinking hellas and whom he had described as throwing the first stone at olaus petri just at the moment when he was preaching to them of freedom if it is thus in america how can one expect anything better in europe he found himself in a cul-de-sac his hereditary disposition prevented his becoming an aristocrat nor could he come to terms with the people had he not himself suffered lately from an ignorant theatre management behind which stood the uncultivated public and found the way blocked for his new and liberal ideas there was then already a mob despotism in sweden and the director of the theatre royal was only their servant it was all absurdity and even suppose society were ruled by those who knew most then they would be under professors with their heads full of antiquarian ideas even if the director had put his drama on the stage it would have certainly been hissed off by the tradesmen in the stalls and no critics could have helped him his thoughts struggled like fishes in a net and ended by being caught it was not worth the trouble of thinking about and he tried to banish the thought but could not he felt a continual trouble and despair in his mind that the world was going idiotically majestically and unalterably to the devil unalterably he thought for as yet a large number of strong minds had not attacked the problem which was soluble after all ten years later it was provisionally solved when knowledge on the subject of this sphinx riddle had been so widely spread that even a workman had obtained some insight into it and in a public meeting had declared that equality was impossible for the blockheads could not be equal to the sharp-sighted and that the utmost one could demand was equality of position this workman was more of an aristocrat than john dared to be in the year eighteen seventy two though he belonged to no party which claimed the right to muzzle him prevost paradol had dealt with the same theme as tocqueville but he suggested a secret device against the tyranny of the masses the cumulative vote or the privilege of writing the same name several times on the ballot-paper but john considered this method which had been tried in england doubtful he had set great hopes on his drama and borrowed money on the strength of them and now felt much depressed the disproportion between his fancied and his real value galled him now he had to adopt a role learn it and carry it out 
he composed one for himself consisting of the sceptic the materialist and the liar and found that it suited him excellently this was for the simple reason that it was a sceptical and materialistic period and because he had unconsciously developed into a man of his time but he still believed that his earlier discarded personality ruled indeed by wild passions but cherishing ideals of a higher calling love to mankind and similar imaginations was his true and better self which he hid from the world all men make similar mistakes when they value sickly sentimentality above strong thought when they look back to their youth and think they were purer and more virtuous then which is certainly untrue the world calls the weaker side of men their better self because this weakness is more advantageous for the world and self-interest seems to dictate its judgment john found that in his new role he was freed from all possible prejudices religious social political and moral he had only one opinion that everything was absurd only one conviction that nothing could be done at present and only one hope that the time would come when one might effectively intervene and when there would be improvement but from that time he altogether gave up reading newspapers to hear stupidity praised selfish acts lauded as philanthropic and reason blasphemed that was too much for a fanatical sceptic sometimes however he thought that the majority were right in just being at the point of view where they were and that it was unnecessary that some few individuals because of a specialized education should run far ahead of the rest in quiet moments he recognized that his mental development which had taken place so rapidly without his ever seeing an idea realized could be a pattern for such a slowly working machine as society is why did he run so far ahead it was not the fault of the school or university for they had held him back equally with the majority yes but those already out in the world by their own hearths had already reached the stage of buckle scepticism as regards the social order so that he was not so far ahead after all the slow rate of progress was enough to make one despair what schiller's karl moore had seen a hundred years previously what the french revolution had actually brought about were now regarded as brand new ideas after the revolution social development had gone backwards religious superstitions were revived belief in a better state of things lost and economic and industrial progress was accompanied by sweating and terrible poverty it was absurd all minds that were awake at all had to suffer suffer like every living organism when hindered in growth and pressed backward the century had been inaugurated by the destruction of hopes and nothing has such a paralyzing effect on the soul as disappointed hope which as statistics show is one of the most frequent causes of madness therefore all great spirits were vulgarly speaking mad chateaubriand was a hypochondriac musset a lunatic victor hugo a maniac the automatic pygmies of everyday life cannot realize what such suffering means and yet believe themselves capable of judging in the matter the ancient poet is psychologically correct in representing prometheus as having his liver gnawed by a vulture prometheus was the revolutionary who wished to spread mental illumination among men whether he did it from altruistic motives or from the selfish one of wishing to breathe a purer mental atmosphere may be left undecided john who felt akin to this rebel 
was aware of a pain which resembled anxiety and a perpetual boring toothache in the liver was prometheus then a liver patient who confusedly ascribed his pain to causes outside himself probably not but he was certainly embittered when he saw that the world is a lunatic asylum in which the idiots go about as they like and the few who preserve reason are watched as though dangerous to the public safety attacks of illness can certainly colour men's views and every one well knows how gloomy our thoughts are when we have attacks of fever but patients such as samuel odeman or olaf eneroth were neither sulky nor bitter but on the contrary mild perhaps languid from want of strength voltaire who was never well had an imperturbably good temper and musset did not write as he did because he drank absinthe but he drank from the same cause that he wrote in that manner i e from despair therefore it is not in good faith that idealists who deny the existence of the body ascribe the discontent of many authors to causes such as indigestion etc the supposition of which contradicts their own principles but it must be against their better knowledge or with worse knowledge kierkegaard's gloomy way of writing can be ascribed to an absurd education unfortunate family relations dreary social surroundings and alongside of these to some organic defects but not to the latter alone discontent with the existing state of things will always assert itself among those who are in process of development and discontent has pushed the world forwards while content has pushed it back content is a virtue born of necessity hopelessness or superfluity it can be cancelled with impunity catarrh of the stomach may cause ill-temper but it has never produced a great politician i e a great malcontent but sickliness may impart to a malcontent's energy a stronger colour and greater rapidity and therefore cannot be denied a certain influence on the other hand a conscious insight into grievances can produce such a degree of mental annoyance as can result in sickness the loss of dear friends through death may in this way cause consumption and the loss of a social position or of property madness if every modern individual shows a geological stratification of the stages of development through which his ancestors passed so in every european mind are found traces of the primitive aryan class feeling fixed family ideas religious motives etc from the early christians we have the idea of equality love for our neighbour contempt for mere earthly life from the medieval monks self-castigation and hopes of heaven besides these we inherit traits from the sensuous cultured pagans of the renaissance the religious and political fanatics of the sixteenth century the sceptics of the illumination period and the anarchists of the revolution education should therefore consist in the obliteration of old stains which continually reappear however often we polish them away john proceeded to obliterate the monk the fanatic and the self-tormentor in himself as well as he could and took as the leading principle of his provisional life for it was only provisional till he struck out a course for himself the well-understood one of personal advantage which is actually though unconsciously employed by all to whatever creed they belong he did not transgress the ordinary laws because he did not wish to appear in a court of justice he encroached on no one's rights because he wished his own not to be encroached upon he met men sympathetically for he did not hate them 
nor did he study them critically till they had broken their promises and shown a want of sympathy to him he justified them all so long as he could and when he could not well he could not but he tried by working to place himself in a position to be able to do so he regarded his talent as a capital sum which although at present it yielded no interest gave him the right and imposed on him the duty to live at any price he was not the kind of man to force his way into society in order to exploit it for his own purposes he was simply a man of capacity conscious of his own powers who placed himself at the disposal of society modestly and in the first place to be used as a dramatist the theatre as a matter of fact needed him to contribute to its swedish repertory after a solitary day's work it was his habit to go to a cafe to meet his acquaintances there to seek more elevated recreations in family circles such as meaningless gossip card-playing and such like had no attraction for him whenever he entered a family circle he felt himself surrounded by a musty atmosphere like that exhaled from stagnant water married couples who had been badgering each other were glad to welcome him as a sort of lightning conductor but he had no pleasure in playing that part family life appeared to him as a prison in which two captives spied on each other as a place in which children were tormented and servant-girls quarrelled it was something nasty from which he ran away to the restaurants in them there was a public-room where no one was guest and no one was host one enjoyed plenty of space and light heard music saw people and met friends john and his friends were accustomed to meet in a back room of burns great restaurant which because of the colour of the furniture was called the red room the little club consisted originally of john and a few artistic and philosophical friends but their circle was soon enlarged by old friends whom they met again they were first of all recruited by the presentable former scholars of the clara school a postal clerk who was at the same time a bass singer pianist and composer a secretary of the court treasurer and the trump card of the society a lieutenant of artillery to these were added later the composer's indispensable friend a lithographer who published his music and a notary who sang his compositions the club was not homogeneous but they soon managed to shake down together but since the laymen had no wish to hear discussions on art literature and philosophy their conversations were only on general subjects john who did not wish to discuss any more problems adopted a sceptical tone and baffled all attempts at discussion by a play upon words a quibble or a question his ultimate why beyond every penultimate assertion threw a light on the too sure conclusions of stupidity and let his hearer surmise that behind the usually accepted commonplaces there were possibilities of truth stretching out in endless perspective these views of his must have germinated like seeds in most of their brains for in a short time they were all sceptics and began to use a special language of their own this healthy scepticism in the infallibility of each other's judgments had as a natural consequence a brutal sincerity of speech and thought it was of no use to speak of one's feelings as though they were praiseworthy for one was cut short with are you sentimental poor devil take bicarbonate if any one complained of toothache all he received by way of answer was that does not rouse my sympathy at all for i have never had toothache and it has no effect upon my resolve to give a supper they were disciples of helvetius in believing that one must regard egotism as the mainspring of all human actions and therefore it was no use pretending to finer emotions 
to borrow money or to get goods on credit without being certain of being able to pay was rightly regarded as cheating and so designated for instance if a member of the club appeared in a new overcoat which seemed to have been obtained on credit he was asked in a friendly way whom have you cheated about that coat or on another occasion another would say to-day i have done samuel out of a new suit nevertheless as a matter of fact both overcoat and suit were generally paid for but as the purchaser at the time he took them was not sure whether he would be able to pay he regarded himself as a potential swindler this was severe morality and stern self-criticism once during such a conversation the lieutenant got up to go and attend church parade with his company where are you going he was asked to play the hypocrite he answered truthfully this tone of sincerity sometimes assumed the character of a deep understanding of human nature and the nature of society one day the company were leaving john's lodgings for the restaurant it was winter and mons who was generally ill-dressed had no overcoat the lieutenant who wore his uniform was it is true somewhat uneasy but did not wish to hurt anyone's feelings that day when john opened the door to go out mons said go in front i will come afterwards i do not want jean to injure his position by going with me john offered to walk with mons one way while the other should go by another but jean exclaimed ah don't pretend to be noble-minded you feel as embarrassed at going with mons as i do true replied john but why then do you play the hypocrite i did not play the hypocrite i only wished to try to be free from prejudice the deuce what is the good of being free from prejudice when no one else is and it does you harm it would really show more freedom from prejudice to tell mons your mind than to deceive him mons had already departed and arrived about the same time at the restaurant as they did he took part in the meal without betraying a trace of ill-humour your health mons because you are a man of sense said the lieutenant to cheer him up the habit of speaking out one's inner thoughts without any regard to current opinion resulted in the overthrow of all traditional verdicts the terrible confusion of thought in which men live since freedom of thought has been fettered by compulsory regulations has made it possible for antiquated views of men and things to continue thus to-day a number of works of art are considered unsurpassable in spite of the great progress made in technique and artistic conception john considered that if in the nineteenth century he was to give his views on shakespeare he was not at all bound to give the opinion of the eighteenth century but of his own nineteenth as it had been modified by new points of view this aroused a great deal of opposition perhaps because people fear being regarded as uncultivated a great deal more than they fear being regarded as godless End of chapter fifteen part one